This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Scummy Mummies Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies podcast. I'm Ellie Gibson. And I'm Helen Thorne. And who have we got today, Helen Thorne? We've got Elle from Feathering the Empty Nest. Oi, Elle, how's it going? I'm all right. How are you guys? We're very well, thank you. Now, Elle, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, so, my name is Elle Wright. I am a blogger. I have an Instagram account called Feathering the Empty Nest, as previously yeah. mentioned. Thank you for the shameless plug. Um, I write primarily about interiors and lifestyle and everything I've got going on in my life but also I do write um about loss pregnancy loss and infant loss um after the loss of our son Teddy in 2016 which has subsequently led to me writing a book on that subject as well quite surprisingly that was never a plan um, but that's that's how it's worked out so. often books aren't planned like that as well we we didn't ever plan to write a book and someone mentioned this on the radio once and then uh, a book Aidan got in touch and said, do you want to write a book about that? We're like, oh, yes, yes, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, so did you say yes straight away? Because I kind of went, um, I oh. don't know. What was, what was holding you back? I thought, I'd better ask my mum if this is a good idea. No, I literally got on the phone to Carol and I was like, this is, this is really weird. I do. Because I guess I just, when I started writing, I did it more for, um, I guess, a form of, of healing for myself. It was really cathartic. And, I'd spent so much time completing all the dark corners of the internet, not being able to find anybody who was writing about that subject, who was talking to me, because I kind of make everything into a joke. I always have done. Mm. And I know that's... You I guys. can't imagine what that's like. Oh, you I can't imagine what it's like. I know you both it's like speaking a foreign language. I know you both, you know, and I think whatever it is you're communicating, whether it's everyday stuff like about being a mum and, you know, kids, and I know you turn that into humour, and, and it's very, very difficult when something awful and unthinkable happens to be able to make kind of jokes in that moment but even when we were in hospital with Teddy I was there making inappropriate jokes I think that's just what I do mm. I'm the kind of person who laughs at a funeral like who can't like control that and I just couldn't find anybody who was talking to me and mm. so I didn't expect that reaction I didn't expect somebody to say oh do you, do you think we should turn this into a book because actually I think that's how a lot of people deal with stuff when mm you know the chips are down and it, and it's really bad and they just want that normal they want to feel like normal about it and they yeah. want the release they want the, the tension yeah. to go like you know and you want to I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, with Nigella and she said she laughs at every f- funeral and she said I've been to a lot but I can't help it I just have to laugh yeah. 
in those sort of dark times. I think that's a really natural reaction. We and we're told, and I think, and we'll get further into it when you when you uh, we talk about your book. Is that there are certain emotions that you have to feel in certain situations. We're told you feel sad at a funeral, you feel this at yeah. you know the loss of a, you know a, a relative or whatever. And it, it's not like that. It's like grief and all those sort of things are really complicated, and you can feel. All sorts of things. You feel angry and yeah. yeah, and then laugh at the ridiculousness. Of why? Why is this happening? So I saw it illustrated actually quite recently. Somebody had done an illustration on Instagram, and it was it was kind of the graph of of um, of grief. So first shock, and then this, and then that. And somebody had just done a big cross through it and gone, you know, done a big squiggle all the way through. To actually, yeah. it doesn't look like that. Nothing mm. looks like that because we're all individuals and we're all people, and we're going to feel different things at different times. Mm. Um, and that's fine. Like you don't have to go. Oh, I'm not feeling You're not grieving properly. today. I'm yes. not going through the process. Um, yeah. But yeah, everybody handles it so differently, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So um, I know you've you've told this story a lot before, but could you tell us Teddy's story for anyone who hasn't read the so, book? So, if they haven't. No. Um, so Teddy was born book. in uh, May 2016. I was really lucky. I had a healthy pregnancy. We'd, we'd got married in 2014, started trying for a baby about six months later, and then after 10 months, which felt like quite a long time, but you know, now I now know in the grand scheme is nothing, we, were, we found out we were expecting a baby to be born in May 2016. Teddy came along after I was induced because my waters had broken, they were leaking. I mean, I always thought it was going to be like this big, oh, my waters are broken, like a Hollywood... Mm. Like, like Niagara Falls yeah. is just coming out of your front Mine bottom. Mine were leaking. Like, right. that's just shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I literally stood up one morning and I was like, oh, either I've completely lost control yeah. Or, yeah. or I don't know. So again, I phoned my mum um, and, and luckily she always answers in these kind of situations. She was like, you should probably go to the hospital. Um went along and they were like yeah risk of infection will induce you so I was induced and it was it was fairly like a I was lucky I didn't but yeah he was born after um sort of six and a half hours of active labor he was fine when he was born he came out not breathing but that's quite normal you see mm. that a lot on one born every minute don't you and they run away with the baby and then they yeah. come back with the baby and they're like oh it's fine um so I, I guess I was worried in that moment but he'd been in we'd been in the last stage of labor excuse me with him kind of on his way out the door as it were for a good hour and a half two hours and I hadn't been able to kind of get him out and I think I just thought oh he's you know been in in a bit of a state because of that so they ran away with him my husband sort of swiftly followed after they'd cut the cord and um then they came back with him about 15 minutes later but obviously I'd been on the old gas and air so was having a great time and didn't really know what was going on so that 20 minutes probably felt like about two before the paediatrician had come back in with him and was like, he's fine. He just needed a bit of a rub down with a towel. And yeah, he's like any normal baby. It takes them a few minutes to get going. So we were just treated as normal and left, um, not left, that's a bit harsh. Um, but, you know, they came in and checked on us and made sure I was okay and that I was, you know, I had a shower and got dressed. And it was like totally normal. And then we went down to a ward to because it was early evening. It was like late evening by this point, a few hours after I'd had him. And um, they, my husband decided to stay over. I mean, thank God he did, because I think if I'd been on my own, I don't know what the hell I would have done. Um, and in the night, first of all, the uh, nurse, midwife, woke me up and said, oh, he's 
the baby's a little bit cold um you need to give him a cuddle so I was like I don't really know anything about babies okay that's fine mm. you know I don't think any of us know do yeah. we like when we first have a baby we're like what, no. what is this and you do what you're told right yeah, yeah. totally yeah. so I gave him a cuddle and then they were like right that's that and then she came back she was like yeah that's fine put him back down to sleep that was about sort of 12 half past 12 in the night and then I guess it was about an hour or so later she came to wake me up and um she was shaking my shoulder like shake literally lifting me off the bed shaking my shoulder and she said all I remember she said I'm going to have to take the baby he's really cold and as she lifted him up his arms just flopped down by his side Mm. Mm. and I just remember sitting like sitting bolt upright in bed and bashing Nico to my husband to wake up and just sitting there like fuck this is really bad and and I've written about it in the book as you guys know it's like I just remember seeing people running, running, running past down corridors. Somebody obviously pressed an alarm. There were flashing lights and they pulled the curtains round us. And that's when I thought, this is really bad. Yeah. And But still in that moment, I think I was still so out of it, so tired because I'd been induced and I hadn't, didn't really know what was going on. You don't after you've had a baby, I don't think, because your hormones are just all over the place. Um, and we sat there for what felt like a lifetime. I think it was about 40 minutes before they took us into a room. And that's when I thought, this is really bad. I've watched enough casualty to know that, you know, when you get taken into a room on your own. And they sat us down. And um, I just remember the doctor, the paediatrician sort of crouched down in front of us. who so was at eye level with us. And there was a box of tissues on the table. And I was 100% convinced they were going to say, <clears throat> the baby's died. Well, call him the baby because we haven't actually named him at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we kind of made that decision overnight. overnight. Um, and they didn't. He just said, oh, you've got a really, really poorly little boy. He was um, resuscitated for 18 minutes before mm-hmm. we managed to bring him back. Mm. But we don't know how long he wasn't breathing before we found him. Mm. So, of course, in my head, I was thinking, oh, he's alive. He's, al- like, he's alive. Amazing. This mm. is like somebody's looking down on me. And still not really realising at all the magnitude of the situation I was in. Mm. Because I don't think your brain allows you to go there. Mm. It's like when somebody you know is really ill and you know they're going to die. And you think in your head you've accepted it. But then when it happens, it's like a complete shock. Yeah. So I was just thinking, oh, that's going to be fine. Then we're going to be fine. Yeah. And then the next day we were transferred to a... um, near neighboring hospital who had a specialist neonatal um intensive care unit and Niku it's called um and he stayed in hospital at the same hospital as us while they stabilized him and then the next morning we went to the neonatal unit and we were there for three days before um the pediatricians and all the specialists who were looking after him just said to us that there was there was literally nothing that they could do so they switched his Sorry, it's I'm always I mean, it's fine. not all right, but it's all right that you're crying. I'm <laughs> saying they, they switched his um, life support off, but mm-hmm. it was just one of these things where even then, I think your instinct as a mother like takes over. And I can remember thinking when they said that was what was going to happen, I was just thinking, shit, I can't let him just like die in a hospital room with loads of other babies and loads of other families. And I. I said to them, right, okay, this is what I need us to do. It was like this weird... I kind of went into autopilot. I think mm. you just think, right, I, I've got one shot at this to 
not fuck it up and just like do the best thing that I can do. Yeah. So I um oh, sorry I've made everyone cry. I'm so oh, sorry. No, that's all right. Um no, you've made Ellie cry, which is amazing. <laughs> I'm actually just I'm just allergic to those flowers over there. <laughs> um and I I said, right, you know, this is what we need to do. So we got the doctors to they were really good actually. I can't tell you how good they were and they just like hand and footprints with him and all of those things that because you're kind of trying to pack a whole lifetime of memories into what I think it was like two hours, three hours. And then they let us take him into another room that had been a room that we'd been staying in that was like a family room. And they brought him in there because he'd been, for three days, he'd been on every machine going. He was wired up to absolutely everything because, you know, it's a tiny baby. So yeah. it looks so tiny and all this big equipment around him. And I was like, no, it doesn't feel right. It feels really clinical and really weird, yeah. which obviously it is in a hospital. So the midwives and nurses they brought him through in just one of those little tanks and they were actually hand pumping oxygen into him and then they handed him to us and stopped pumping the oxygen and then they let him read they let us read him a story and so that was how we decided to do it but I just thought there's literally nothing else I could do I've got to do something and make it as not as nice a memory because I guess my fear was that was going to be the I think I was very aware in that moment that that was going to be the memory that we had for the rest of our lives and I didn't want to mess it up for Mm. him and for us Mm. it was so like strong of you because I think you feel so vulnerable and like everyone else is making a decision yeah and 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 that's so amazing that you got to own that and control that and have that as well i don't think there is a right thing to do and that's the thing is in your head when when the chips are really down you're thinking okay what's the best thing to do here what what should i be doing and i think Mm. that's a maternal instinct Mm. as well that as a mother you know nobody really knows what they're doing do they and something something happens and you think oh god i'm the i'm the mum in this situation i'm supposed to know what to do i'm supposed to make this right i'm Mm. supposed to fix it and and make it better and i think because it was a situation so unthinkable and so shocking and like nothing i'd ever expected to happen when i had a baby i thought that i because it was so out of control that i needed to take back some of that control and be like no this is how it's going to be and so yeah that was that was what happened with teddy and then we the that night we went home from the hospital without Mm. our son Mm. and kind of realized as we were driving home shit this is this is our new reality like Mm. how the hell are we going to tell people that this is what has just happened because when somebody has a baby and as you both know you know you're expecting and everyone's like when's the baby coming and it's this happy 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 and everyone's in anticipation of that really happy news and that what should be the happiest news is completely flipped on its head and becomes the unthinkable and then you as the parents or as our immediate family then have to be the ones to communicate that to everybody Mm. and it is not a fun place to be Mm. it's a shit it's yeah. a shitstorm. Yeah. I didn't it just looked like an abyss to me of I didn't know how we were gonna get through, but then the next thought in your head is how the hell are we gonna tell everybody? How did you tell everybody? I kind of chickened out. I <laughs> I text my best friend and I was like, I I can't. I, I told her mm-hmm. and I just said to her, Look, Zoe, I need you to tell think of everybody, think of everybody we know who might want to know. 
and just please go and tell them for me mm. and she was an absolute gem and she went and did it for me and yeah and I would do the same for her if I had to yeah yeah, yeah well, we were really lucky our friends were just all amazing and I yeah incredibly grateful you know when we really needed our families our, not only were our parents there but we we're both close to our siblings as mm. well um, Nico's sister actually wrote a really nice passage in my book about Teddy and her experience of you know being in the hospital with us and um, her experience of, you know, losing her nephew, but wanting to protect her little brother. And then the following month, finding out that she was pregnant again mm. and having to tell her, like, all these different emotions yeah. that, you know, when a child dies or when anyone dies, everybody just thinks about the people, the immediate people that that's happened to. So everyone, particularly, I think, when you lose a baby, everyone rallies around the mother because... Na- that's the natural instinct isn't it yeah. think, you're the one that's just had the baby so we need to make sure you're okay but the ripples go out so much further than just that the immediate people that that's happened to because you know my parents and my husband's parents had lost their grandson our brothers and sisters had lost a nephew our friends uh, you know were in complete shock and obviously cared about us so much and they had lost something and it was just Oh, it was, yeah, it was so much more complex. I think you kind of give it credit. Yeah, yeah. So so your book, Ask Me His Name, let's yeah. tag it again. Uh, I mean, why not? Yeah, it comes out on paperback on the 7th of March. There we are. There <laughs> let's focus on the important things, guys. Um, uh, Amazon.co.uk. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I read it a few months ago, and I'll, I'll be totally honest with you, I didn't, I was nervous about reading it, and I didn't know if I could read it. I yeah. didn't know if I could get through it. And I thought, I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And if I can't get through it, and I, I picked it up and I sat down and I just read it cover to cover. Like I had, I had to say to Pete, like, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to finish this book. You have to take the kids because this is, is so compelling. Um, and, and just thank you for writing it. I think it's an amazing piece of writing. And I, so, and it was, it was the, the first part of the book was especially difficult for me because I can relate to it a bit. And I know, like, I would never, and I know you get told this a lot, I would never say I know what you've been through. I don't at all. I have no idea. I had a premature baby who was born two months early. So I did have experience of that being in intensive care yeah. and that thing. And I, I can I can relate to that thing of something goes wrong with the baby. Like when Joe came out, he wasn't breathing. That's put him on a ventilator and all that. And they wheeled him off. I didn't get to hold him, all of that stuff. But in my sort of morphine, post-cesarean, post-birth adult state, I was like, oh, but we're in a hospital and he's not fine. dead. Therefore, like on casualty... He will be all right. Yeah, you know, he'll get better. And that I think is totally natural. And that was my thinking as well. You know, I thought, well, what that that doesn't happen, and it couldn't happen to me, and it only happens to other people, and mm. it's never happened to anybody I know, so mm. can't be a thing. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and exactly, I think, exactly. And then you know, you find yourself, as you know, in a neonatal intensive care unit, mm. and it's like this weird. It's Kafkaesque. It's it's just. It was just bizarre, and yeah. you're just looking at all these other parents around fish tanks mm. <laughs> they look like fish tanks mm. with the, you know Teddy was I mean he was a, a term baby so he was one of the bigger ones even though he was only six pounds something he, he was big I was looking at some of the little babies the tiny babies and yeah it just it blows your mind mm. like and you know I am now on the um, sort of charity group for the neonatal unit that's why I focus a lot of my energy into fundraising for them and, and being part of that and so I go to the back to the neonatal unit every month and it, it never stopped blowing my mind mm. how incredible it is and the care that they give to these little little people to mm. kind of get them going and, mm. and get them 
like into this whole game of life and mm. yeah it's, it's mental I think it's amazing that you go back I went back once when Joe was well and he'd been out of hospital for a long time and I found it incredibly hard and was, was really upset for the rest of the day and I've not been able to go back since so I think that's that's amazing that you the first time was really hard I remember going back for and I read about it in the book I went um, another plug um, I went um, what you've written uh, the book yeah I know it's hard to believe I don't talk about it much it's a bit like my kitchen extension I never mention it you should um, have called it ask me about my book <laughs> the next book yeah, it's a follow-up it's a book about your book <laughs> <laughs> oh, i am one of these people though i do i do refer back to things so it's like the time i met duncan from blue i never stopped going on about it oh, <laughs> oh another plug there. Yeah. Um, but so, you go back to the unit you were saying the first time I yeah first it. time i went back and i can remember not really thinking about it and i'm sure you didn't when yeah. you went back and and then I, we'd gone to like a charity, they were having a relaunch of the charity downstairs and I went with my husband and my mother-in-law and it was all fine. And then the lady who's like the charity sort of key person said, oh, do you want to come up and see the piece of equipment that you've bought with your fundraising so far? I was like, yeah. And then I got in the lift and I realised that I hadn't been in that lift since the day that we left hospital and Teddy had died. And it just hit me like a oh. tonne of bricks. And... I just remember thinking, I'm, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to yeah. mm. be sick and cry at the same time. Yeah. Like, this is going to be really ugly. And I'm going to throw up on the thing that <laughs> I've just bought. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband was like, are you OK? We don't, we don't have to do this. We don't have to go. And I was like, no. And then there was this weird thing just like compelling me to go back in, like sort of shoving me through the door to go back in. And it was almost like I had to see it for myself to sort of, break through a pain barrier mm. and I talk about that a lot when I'm writing that it's it's almost like ripping off a plaster the more that I said after Teddy died Teddy has died out loud it's like my subconscious was like oh okay that's what's happened and going back to the neonatal unit I think was a big part of that for mm. me I needed to walk in stand and look to where he had been where he had existed so that in my head I could get it and it was just, I mean, it was so weird. That was like a year later. And there I was, like a psychopath pressed up against the glass. In the, and the, I mean, the other parents in there probably thought, what is going on? Like tears streaming down my face. And then when I did it, I came away and I thought, well, I've done it now. I've done it. I've, it was really hard and it mm. felt awful at moments. But at the same time, it kind of felt really good. Because yeah. because he wasn't here anymore, and it was one of the few places that he had been. It, that sounds really. I promise I'm not mental. No, no, no. It sounded really. It sounds weird, but it, it felt really like okay, this makes sense. And so when they then asked me to be on the charity committee because we were carrying on fundraising, I was like, yeah, totally, I will, and and I'll come back. And some days. I go back, like, last week I went back and I was fine all morning and then as I was leaving, I had a bit of a wobble and I think, I then I just go, right, I've got to go now, see you, know, see you later yeah. and you just have to take yourself out of that situation. But as long as you manage it mm. healthily, yeah, it's okay. That's it. And another thing that stood out for me in that beginning part of the book was um, when you talk about how people talk about your baby when you're in intensive care and how they refer to him and, you know, we had a Doctor Who, so in, in King's where Joe was, they have little labels and we didn't have a name for him either because we, you know, he was two months early, and we just hadn't really got our and shit got to together. That point, yeah. Yeah. yeah, fucking pack of nappies <laughs> and uh, useless. And uh, but they have little blue or pink labels to show if it's a boy or a girl. Let's not have an argument now. Let's about not get gender, onto this. No. Or, nobody, nobody can be asked to talk about I wanted about that. an orange label, thank you. Yes, but that's what <laughs> they, they do. Them? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want glitter label. Only because I was watching Lorraine Kelly this morning. Just edit this out. I was watching Lorraine Kelly we love this morning. Lorraine. And she was talking about who was it has had a, who's had two children. I think it was it Kate Hudson or somebody? Mm. Hollywood star. She's got two children and um, she's bringing them up gender neutral. So she was talking about her daughter who is four or five, and she was saying. Oh, she has more. Uh, she has more of a female energy about her, but we would never refer to her as a girl. Um, it's it's up to her what she then decides to be. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't really know. Jury's out on that one. I just think. I mean, if it floats your boat, yes. Not my, not my bag. Jury says, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jerry, our podcast. Jury's back that. in. You can fuck yourself off. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, Anyway, yeah, yeah. Nice anyway pink and blue label. Yes, yes we're talking uh, about yeah, anyway, we're talking about your book. We're just talking about me. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm just eating chips, um, so it's all good. So yeah, so they had like pink labels for a girl and blue labels for a boy. And there was this one doctor who like would <laughs> repeatedly refer to Joe uh, as her, like in conversation, and like, oh, um, today she's done this and she's had this and she. And I would correct him every single day, and every he was a night shift doctor, and every single night he would. He would do the same thing. And I, I, I try not to be uptight about this thing, but I did have a thing of, I'm relying on you to keep my baby alive. Because they yeah. had told me very early on it could go either way. That was the phrase they used. So I was like, I'm trusting you to keep my baby alive. And you can't even get his fucking gender right. And he's got a blue fucking sticker on his incubator. That does worry me about your competency <laughs> as a human, generally. <laughs> And then one night, I admit, I was a bit... I like, mean, not judging or angry. Not judging, yeah. Sort <laughs> your no shit rage. out. I'm not looking for someone to put my rage about what's happened to me. <laughs> not, not looking for anyone to project that onto at all. But, and then... <laughs> Here it is. And I don't know if you have this, but they have all these charts at the end of the beds with all the sets yeah. and the breathing and the heartbeat. And I became like... Obs- I'm like Same. a nerd. And I just became obsessed with those every yeah. day. And I would check them and obsessively, you know... And, and I would always want to talk to the doctors and say, what can you, you know, what does this mean and how's that? And and one day I remember I asked the nurse to go and get this doctor. It was the same blue pink doctor. And he came in and he went, ah, the Gibsons, always, always asking questions. <laughs> I was like, my baby's in fucking intensive care. Here's a question. Why are you such a prick? <laughs> I didn't say that. I wish you had. They work very hard. It's obviously the minority. We love the NHS. We love the nurses and the doctors. They work incredibly hard for their money. But like, because you do write a bit about that in the book, don't you? About how important it is to talk about Teddy. Yeah, and I think going back to what you just said about doctors and nurses as well. Since I wrote the book, the majority of people who take the time to write a lengthy email to me about the effect it's had on them work in the professional medical profession that's what Mm. they do and they say you know I'm a neonatalist or I'm a midwife or I'm a NICU nurses they love writing to me and it's wonderful and I think for them you know they have to deliver great news but also bad news on a on a week in week out basis and I think it's very difficult for them to imagine what that journey looks like for a parent a family after they leave mm. um and i think that's why for me talking about him is not only hugely therapeutic for us and to kind of keep him in the present and ensure that he doesn't become a thing of the past um but for other people just to understand that actually that's cool and we want to talk about him and that's fine and i think if you talk to any other parents 
who I mean certainly all of the girls who I've made friends with who've lost their baby through neonatal death or, or stillbirth um, or later in infancy in cot death or as a toddler from illness they just say the last thing that I want is is for, for people to pretend that they didn't exist mm. um, and I think a couple of girls who I've met have have um, had triplets and one of the babies hasn't survived or had twins and one of the babies hasn't survived and now their children are at the age where they're going to nursery and so they're having to sort of say to the nursery like make sure that people know that she's a twin or or Mm. make sure that people know that they're triplets but one of them isn't here and you know because they don't want their kids to be called twins when actually you know their daughter's missing not here and 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 actually that's part of the kids identity as they grow up you know they need to know that they had a brother or sister that that isn't here with them I think that's so important mm. um, just to normalise the conversation mm. because in the UK we are fucking weird at talking about yes. difficult stuff mm. is it different down under what are you guys doing down oh, there I think we're worse I, I do you? think we're worse because you know oh no I don't make a fuss oh, oh no yeah. that's no leave him alone uh, so just I think, dimension it mate no, don't, no, don't, don't bring it up have a beer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's just go outside yeah. but I've been that person who, who knows something terrible has happened and like Especially if you're in a public situation, like you don't want to upset the person. Yeah. And you're like, do I? And maybe you don't know them that well. Maybe you're not actually a, a good friend or a relative. And you're like, do do I mention this and risk upsetting you? Maybe in your workplace or whatever. Or you know, and and let's face it, if it's easier not, isn't it? Sometimes. Yeah. But you think people, you should you should do it. I, in in my opinion, obviously I can't speak for everybody. I'm well aware of that when I'm like I'm not like the guru on grief. I don't think I've got this all figured out. At I mean, all. that's a great time. Minister for baby loss. That's well done. Congratulations. Fucking <laughs> hell. Yeah. There's a title I never. But I and I think that's that's the dangerous game that you play when you share your own experience. Right. Mm. Um, is that then you uh, you know and you take it as far as writing. A whole book about it I think people then come to you and they you know I get a lot of direct messages on Instagram um because I've opened up about my feelings then from other mothers or from friends or family or colleagues of somebody who that's just happened to and they're asking me what is the right thing to do mm. what is the right thing to say and I don't know because I've never met that person yeah. I don't know a thing about them and I don't know where they are at in that Mm. stupid graph about grief that doesn't really exist yeah you know i don't know if that day they're going to be really upset or if that day they're going to be fine and yeah. want to talk about it or if they're going to be you know we all have different days and, and and that's with grief or without some days we wake up in a great mood and we want to have a laugh and some days we're like why is this my life and the world is against me mm. and i think that's really difficult to know but what i normally say to people is like if it's in the early stages and you haven't spoken to them yet like you, you've not had any dialogue and you find out through a friend that your friend has just lost a child and just send something even if it's a heart emoji if you haven't got the words hmm. you don't try and find them if you think you can fuck it up and offend somebody hmm. just send i think that for me was the important thing was just to know that people were there if if and when i was ready to, to see them and wanted to talk about it yeah just to know that they were there and I always say this is like silence is really deafening when somebody just ignores you and pretends it doesn't happen. It didn't happen because you know that they know. That's weird. And then that's weird. Yeah. And then you know. And I have had there are still a couple of pe- couple of people who since Teddy died, which will be three years ago in May, 
I would have had sort of fairly regular dialogue with them, even if it was just on social media or through text messages. You know, people I'd used to work with or whatever. Not a peep, not mm. a Scooby. They, and now it's gone too far now, hasn't it? They, you know, it gets to a point yeah. where if you ignore something for that long and then they, nobody says anything, it's like, oh. yeah. And yeah. I, I do think also to a certain degree, it's a generational thing as well. Um, old a lot of older people I'm talking much older people so like my granddad is nearly 90 and he has never said to me anything about Teddy it's like one time he saw me at my brother's wedding and I was nine months pregnant and the next time he saw me a couple of months after Teddy died and he acted like nothing had happened Mm. and it was because for him and it's not because he doesn't care I know that Mm. I know it's not because he doesn't care it's because he is of that generation where he doesn't know how to handle it and what to say or yeah. whether he's going to upset me. So in his head, being mm. a, a nearly 90-year-old man from the north of England who I think goes for that very sort of stoic, stiff upper lip thing, yeah. he's just gone, don't say anything. Yeah. And that's what he's told himself. And and I know, I don't take any offence because I know that he's my granddad and he loves me and that that's mm. not changed. Yeah. He just can't do it. He can't even. You know, we get these people who just go to say something they just they can't they can't be emotional they can't say anything it's that thing you you know I'm speaking to myself nothing I know that nothing I can say to you can make it better yeah nothing can ease your pain nothing so I think maybe for some people it's like oh well if but if I say something I might increase the pain yeah momentarily so maybe it's better just to do nothing but you think I yeah and that's what I also say to people so not that long ago I think it was during baby loss awareness week and I was you guys probably saw what I was doing that week because mm. it was I was doing events and radio stuff and media stuff and interviews and and it got really intense like it was really you give a lot of yourself it was really intense yeah. and and my mum said to me god you know what I, I honestly don't know how you do that some days like I don't know how you drag yourself through it mm. the reason that I carry on doing it carry on talking about it is because Every day it's happening to other people. So every day in the UK, 15 babies die. And that's not including miscarriage. That's a, and it, that's a statistic from 2017. Uh, it's a stillbirth and neonatal deaths. I think it was like nine stillborn and six neonatal deaths in the first few weeks of life. Mm. Every day in the UK. So that's thousands of parents and families every year. Yeah. So that tells me that there are 15 women every day going, what the fuck am I going to do now? This is terrifying. I'm staring into the abyss. And and that, that somebody needs to be talking about it because mm. when it happened to me, I couldn't find anyone who was talking about it in a really open forum and being like, look at me, guys, I'm still semi-normal and mm. it hasn't ended my life and there are still so many other things in my life that I enjoy and I've carried on enjoying. Mm. And so that's why I do it, really. I think it is, again, like ripping off a plaster. Nothing, like you said, nothing that I say or anyone else can mm. say. or nothing No matter how much I tilt my head, you talk about the head tilt. <laughs> yeah. Like, How much I tell my head, it's not going to help. It's but not nothing anybody says to me or asks me or anything that I answer back in a question can make it hurt more. Like, because the bad bits already happened. Right. Like, the worst bit happened the day that Teddy died. Like, that was the, the worst moment in my life. And I yeah. remember my husband saying after we'd got through the funeral, and I write about that in the book, is we were walking away from the funeral and he squeezed my hand and he said, nothing can feel as bad as this. We've come, we've come through the two these have to be the two worst days now. They have to be. Yeah. And actually, it was one of the very few 
very sensible things that my husband's ever said <laughs> in our entire relationship. And, and he was right, because mm. actually I really clung on to that and I held on to it and thought, yeah, nothing can hurt that much now. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. Yeah, because you you have a I think you have a whole chapter, don't you, called the benchmark of shit. Which <laughs> I love. you'd like that one. I love that. <laughs> Where you have you have people say, "Oh, this, you know, you know, my my hair's fall. I don't know, my hair's falling out. Is that a thing? I don't. Yeah, know. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've had yeah. a car crash or whatever. Yeah. Or oh, oh, my dog died. Or yeah, you know, this. Yeah. But then they go, "Oh, but of course, it's nothing compared to what yeah. we've been through." And you realise one day that you and Nico and you know what happened to Teddy, you were you were now the benchmark. We were it. Shit. Yeah. We were it. We were as bad bad as it could get in yeah. life and and I just remember and it was I think it was a a particularly bad week of head tilts and I'm so sorry's and you know people trying scrabbling to say the right thing and I totally got it was coming from a really good place but I realized in conversations with a lot of my friends that week they were telling me something that had been going on in their life or a friend's life and then they quickly caveat it with of course it's nothing compared to what's happened to you it's mm. nothing compared to what you're going through and I was like you're like I know that <laughs> Fucking great! So you're saying this? This is I'm literally the worst. Um, and oh. and I think it was one of these things where if you didn't laugh about it, yeah, you would just think, well, what is the point? And mm. and I wrote that. My editor said it was her favourite title to the chapter. To, to the I chapter think it's she what never you, heard. I think it's what you should have called the book. <laughs> <laughs> the benchmark of shit by L. Wright. <laughs> The story of loss and learning to laugh again. <laughs> but it is, it is. And I think it's, you just kind of have to accept it and be like, well, I'm go- I'm not going to think two months ahead, six months ahead, a year ahead. I'm just going to sit, sit in the here and now and wake up each day. And maybe that will be a day where it's harder to swing your legs around the bed and get out. Or, or maybe it'll be easy uh, that day and you'll feel great when you get up. But just like take each day as it comes and not try and like get ahead of myself. Well, we're very lucky and grateful that today you were able to get out of bed yeah. to come to South Sunder to Just talk about. to some twats. Uh, <laughs> possibly aren't taking this seriously enough. Who knows? Um, but how, how are things now? Um, as you say, so it'll be it'll be three years in, in May, May since Teddy died. Yeah. yeah, things are. I mean, I didn't go back to my job. That's probably like the biggest life change that I've had. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here on a sofa with you guys now. I'd be. I mean, I think you've made the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, I guess, for me, the biggest sort of personal change. Um, and that wasn't really a conscious decision. That was more of a, I can't, I can't mm. go back to giving a shit about skincare. Um, I worked for L'Oreal, um, and it was a really good job. But uh, and I'd worked my entire career in the spa industry. I was on the road in sales and I was in London and I was in meetings all day and I thought, I'm going to have to walk... I, I know that the first three months back at work is going to be going into my 80-something accounts that I had to have my first meeting with them and every single one is going to be telling the whole story again and again yeah. and I just thought, that is going to be so bad for my business. That sounds shit. Yeah, yeah and I, I was just like... So, so I just called my boss after a bit of thinking on it and luckily, in this in the UK, we're really lucky. If you leave on maternity leave to have your baby and you've gone off on your maternity leave, regardless of the outcome, if your baby lives or, or your baby is not here, you still are entitled to your full maternity leave. So I had some time to think about what the hell I was going to do next and mm. whether I was going to go back to work or not. And, and I decided that, um, that that job and that wouldn't be for me um anymore i would have loved to have been able to go back to my normal life and you know feel normal again but i just couldn't feel it and i kind of had this weird feeling of guilt as well because 
was like everything I'd ever worked towards and then I was just going to suck it all off and go on it's not really for me anymore don't really want to do that um so that was quite weird um but in that time in the last sort of couple of months before I was due to go back to work I'd started the blog um and then sort of literally a few months after I'd said I wasn't going back to work in the March and by the June that was when a literary agent contacted me and said do you want to write a book and you suggest it's going to be called the benchmark of shit <laughs> and then here we are today <laughs> I did yeah. um, now people go oh what next what mm. next oh, I don't have a clue I don't really know I don't really know yeah. what's next mm. um, we would love to have more children we still raise a lot of money in Teddy's name so that's a big part as I said of what I do volunteer for the, the charity and uh, the book is raising money for Tommy's the baby charity um, and yeah my husband's done various challenges last year him and his friends cycled across France for 16 or 1700 kilometers in a week and they raised 30,000 pounds and bought a new incubator for the mm. so we kind of do we kind of just keep it going in what we're doing um but in ourselves I guess we're the same as we always were but obviously things are different now mm. if that yeah and I think that's after you've had kids anyway yeah, that's, like, yeah, you that's know, exactly. You're that's... still you, kind of under the surface, but it's just a bit it's a bit different now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So tell us about feathering the empty nest then. I think I wanted a, a creative outlet, somewhere to sort of talk about Teddy, but also talk about all the other stuff in my life that I loved. So um staring down the barrel of a year off work and not having a baby there the worst things just happen so you're kind of navigating each day to day thinking right what can I do to fill my day to day what can I do that's going to take my mind off of this shit storm so for me I mean the whole house if it wasn't like on fire I was painting it and or just doing something because I needed to be busy I needed Mm. to so every single room in our house just got done and done again and this and that you know I was constant and it was really really therapeutic because it gave me somewhere to focus creativity um and then when I started thinking about writing about Teddy and trying to kind of create a space that wasn't just all about how miserable that was as an event but actually (coughs) my life as a whole and all of the other things that I enjoyed and the way that I kind of 
rationalise it to other people is if Teddy were here and I had decided to write something or do something, a blog, um, I would have included him in all the other stuff that I loved. So just because he's not here, why would I go, oh, okay, I'm going to start one blog about the fact my baby died and then I'm going to start another blog about all the happy stuff in my life. Smash them together and see what happens. Was what the way that I thought. Mm. It, I don't know why again. I'm getting upset now. We're talking about fucking paint. <laughs> so mood. Intensive care. And we now you're talking go, about your fucking blog. And I've lost my shit. I don't know what's come over me. Ellie's gone. See, I know. But it's, a it's throw. We're supposed to be moving on. <laughs> oh, oh Jesus. Sorry, I'm going to again. I know. I'm just going to rub here. And now, Elle, I'd like you to comfort me. That's why it's good, isn't it? Make this about me again. Uh, I'm very upset. Can you make me feel better, please? Oh my God. Um, about what happened to you. <laughs> Sorry. No, not at all. But the reason was, I think I wanted to do something that I saw was positive, which yeah. is how I, I viewed my blog, because when Teddy died and I was feeling a bit desperate and trying to search for other women or other parents who had gone through what I'd gone through, I couldn't find anyone who was talking about it, but also talking about their normal life. Like, it was like, that was all they were talking about. So, um, I mean, I understand it's a huge thing to happen and it's really sad and it it, it does kind of take over your life to a certain extent for a long period of time. But it just made me more miserable and it just made me think, I don't want to read about how fucking miserable this is because mm. I'm already in that yeah. and I am living that every single day of my life I want somebody to tell me one day you're going to wake up and you're going to have a great day again and mm. you're going to laugh and you're going to get pissed with your friends or this is going to be fun or you're yeah. going to listen to music and not burst out into tears and it's going to be normal you're going to feel normal yeah. whatever that whatever yeah. that is have you I, had that day yet? Yeah, yeah, I've had loads of those days. And, and when I do have it, I go onto Instagram stories and I, I, I tell people. Because yeah. I, I am really aware that there are other parents following me who are in those first few weeks, few months, or however long, and just feeling desperate. And I want to be the one to say, guys, like, this was really good today and it yeah. made me laugh. Mm. And, and actually, I think we should all sort of do that really shouldn't we when we're having a great time revel in that we should celebrate it and we shouldn't it was very british again we don't want it because we look like smug bastards don't we yeah i know um, i can i just say at this point i'm currently vegan oh and- fucking hell <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and i really like it listen at least when i make it about me it's about baby shit Veganism is nothing to do with babies being in the hospital. How's it going? I love oh, it. I love she's it. high. She's I high. feel she's high. Oh, she's going to keep doing it in February. I'm, I'm trying to. I just It makes me feel very happy. Does it? I feel so good. So good. See, I'm a veggie, but I don't tell anyone. Cause yeah. they, cause exactly. That's because no. you're a good person. <laughs> So I cheers that you were, you were opening it up and I yeah, just I, 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 I had to Veganism's open up. Veganism's the one for you. Yeah, we'll oh. have this conversation again in six months and see. Ellie oh, should try three weeks. She'll be chowing down, throwing hand down. First of January, first of February, she'll be shoving pepperonis in every orifice. Oh my god, I'll just be like, in, I'll be fellating some hot dogs. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, but, yeah anyway, but I sorry. think we should. I think when we're happy, we should be like, this is really good, and I feel great, and so I have purposefully gone on to Instagram. You know, when we've been down in Cornwall or whatever, and I'd ha- I've had a, a first normal day where I felt 
pretty good and I've said look guys I feel great today and I'm just telling you in case you're in a place where you think that's never going to happen for you again I promise you it will like I mm. promise you because I thought it was never going to happen and I think this is going to I can't say it in the right words no, there are but, no. you, Go for but it. you paint a, a rainbow of grief right and that's and it's not one colour and it's not one thing and that's what I love about your blog is that you like mm. yeah it's a shit day and then it's a great day yeah and then we haven't even fucking talked about Boris the pub oh <laughs> come oh, on here we go here we go but like the, but what I love and it, it, it you know I haven't experienced it and I and or anything but I, I I love your story and I love your journey and I love and I love reading the comments as you well love pugs and I love pugs really love how pugs how is project pug going well we have to I mean I feel like a connection here we can't we can't get a dog until we've renovated the house so we want to I'm, I'm making my own pug nest that's okay. what I'm saying and then I can get my pug we talk about it a lot at our house. We talk about it. I want to call her Princess Diana. And, um, <laughs> oh my god, she is a royalist. <laughs> it's what she would have wanted. It's, it was her dream. William and Harry would be very honoured. Oh, sure. Princess uh, Diana. <laughs> well, it feels a bit incongruous because um, it's been quite intense, uh, mainly, mainly for me. Yeah, uh, it's been a journey. Yeah, it's been a journey, guys. It's been a journey. Um, <laughs> Now, we do always finish the podcast with Scummy Mummy Confessions. So this mm. is a story of parenting failure mm. or personal humiliation. I've got a good one of Boris. Go. The other day, I was walking Boris in the woods, as I do, and pugs are inherently greedy little fuckers. So they will eat everything if it's not nailed down or on fire. Like, you need to watch out. Anyway, he saw these kids in the forest and they'd made these, like, it was like school holidays they've made these jumps kids make bike tracks and stuff don't they boys when yeah. they get to certain or girls um, orange sticker <laughs> and they um, anyway they had this he had this they all had their bags it, we live in Surrey so it was a waitress bag on the floor and they um, had kept their biscuits and their snacks and everything and I saw Boris running towards it I was like no 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 so anyway managed to get him away uh, carried on our walk for like another however long and then when we were walking back we were on the other side of the woods quite a distance away and I noticed I'd lost Boris I'd lost it he had tracked back across the forest like a pig <laughs> sniffing out a truffle and I actually had to like it was like a slow mo run no. as I went running for him and all oh, I could no. see was this pug's ass in the air he had immersed himself in a waitrose bag finished a packet of ginger biscuits he had the whole packet in his mouth just as these kids were running over towards him and I was like I'm so sorry I'm so, I was mortified so embarrassed like my pug's just covered in ginger nut <laughs> like a ginger nut facial at least it was a waitrose bag <laughs> I know, and as I pick him up, oh the shame! Like apologising to these kids, he just goes Ugh, and like, like does this massive pug belt, like like, like echoes around the forest. Awesome! Uh, it was it was so, and they were like they were luckily. I mean, that was probably the only sustenance they had for the day. Yeah, the pug had eaten the lot, and because he did this big belt, it made it really funny. Um, they were fine about it. They were chilled. Oh, and, um, the burp saved the day. It did. So that I mean, that's my bad pug parenting story. Well he- done, Boris. Amazing <laughs> scenes. Amazing scenes. Oh no, I've got one actually. So, oh, yeah. um, so I recently bought the kids uh, for Christmas matching onesies, and I had little stars on them, and they're really cute. And they've got um, little buttons that go up. Um, 
but my son is thrilled because he doesn't have to take it off to go to the toilet. He just yanks out his willy and, and wheezes directly from his PJs. And he okay. thinks, I mean, we're all thrilled for him. Yeah. Um, and he was so happy about that. He told our neighbour when she came over. He said, I can just go to the toilet. And then she said, I don't know, just pull out my willy like this. And he pulled out his willy and showed my neighbour Joe. She's like, that's great, Hugo. I'm like, could not be prouder. So um, that, that was a key yeah. parenting moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aww. I was like, it's good to share. Well, yeah. let's hope he grows out of that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Whatever. When comes <laughs> oh well so your book let's do it one more time ask me his name it's uh, out now ask me his name is out now in hard hardback form ellie yeah. but on the 7th of march it will be coming out in paperback well there we go excellent so there's a date to look forward to there is there is excellent stuff so people can follow you at feathering the emptiness that is me yeah and yeah and they can follow us at scummy mummies that's right scummymummies.com for gigs um podcast the whole shebang yes and our book is still, still in print, print. Uh, so that's great and it's available you know where you buy books well thank you so much Elle uh, we've laughed we've cried I think I've been more emotional than anyone quite honestly <laughs> this, is, um, this is amazing yes thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me it's been tea. Yeah. Right. thank you until next time bye bye Um, I just think it's a really important book and really compelling and you know I read two thirds of your book and it was awesome <laughs> what uh, happened so, to the other half? Um, no I read uh, what I usually <laughs> do is I read the first half okay. and then I get tired and then nothing to do with your writing and then I read the last chapter so I know what happens in the end oh. so it, all those words I read were great okay good good yeah. again going back to maybe sometimes it's a good idea to hold things up. <laughs> <laughs> I like the honesty <laughs> Honestly, I'm pretty sure some of my mates haven't read it all the way through. I wouldn't worry. They probably just talk, oh yeah, that bit you said that I was reading. Really oh, I love that yeah. bit. It was so impactful. I read it in one sitting. I didn't finish it. You know, that's, there you are. I didn't that's finish it. I've read the last chapter. That's not finishing it. It's reading most of it. <laughs> oh dear. It's so good. Cut that out. Yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Right. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 